And so something new is happening today, right? Right? Something new is happening today. A new church has started. God has added what the Bible would call a lamppost, right? A light to Cape Cod, a place where people can go and find him. And at the same time, there's something old happening today. See, we look at a church like this, and it seems like it just popped up out of nowhere. Literally, like, this space was empty this morning, and now all this stuff is in here, right? We found a space. We put our stuff in it. We set it up. We tear it down. It might even seem from the perspective of some that our church isn't established because we don't own our own space. See, but if you ask anybody who's been involved with this particular church, they will not consider today to be day one. Right? We've been together for two years. We've been at work for two years. We've been the church with one another, right? Praying, planning, and pursuing God's will for this church and for our lives. Pivoting together as we've navigated the craziness of today, right? See, two years ago today, uh, just about today, I think it was, or the last Sunday of the month, we met as what we call a gospel community in my family's house. Uh, We were a community centered on the good news of Jesus Christ, a community committed to being a church that lives out Christian hospitality, the example that Jesus left us, right? In other words, a church that's generous with our time, generous with our relational bandwidth, generous with our resources, a church that loves our neighbors, not one that's full of experts on God, but the family of God, inviting our neighbors to a table that we've prepared for them. And that's what we did. We say we want to be a church where neighbors become family. We shared meals. We read scripture. There were times when our meetings were small and quiet, and there were times when our home was filled to the brim with the noise of adults and kids, people from different backgrounds, even people who didn't speak English in different languages being talked uh, and translated, right? And, you know, we planned to have this day this particular day, a year ago in 2020, right? But God planned for it to happen today, right? We didn't see a pandemic on the horizon when we made our original plans, and that delayed a lot of the steps that we intended to take. But Proverbs 16:9 says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. God established our steps over these past two years, and we weren't idle with the delay. Right? We took advantage of every opportunity to meet safely. We worshiped outdoors for two summers. We devoted ourselves to scripture, to prayer, serving our community where we could. And so if you're encountering uh, f- us for the first time, yes, something new is happening today, but also something a little older than it seems. And we can go back even further, like way back, like I was telling the children, right? Because what we're doing here today isn't actually new. If we look at the Bible, if we look at the book of Acts uh, in the Bible, we'll see it. I'll tell you a little bit of this story, right? In Jerusalem, A.D. 30, Jesus died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and ascended into heaven. But before he ascended into heaven, he told his apostles to wait for him in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. That was his promise that God would be with them. Fifty days after Jesus was raised, that time came on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, and the church was born, right? Peter gave his first sermon out in the public square. 3,000 people believed and were baptized that day. The church multiplied. 
The first believers started to live in community, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were praising God and enjoying favor of all the people, and every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Later in Acts, we see the church grow by 5,000 people in the first year. By A.D. 31, the church sees its first martyr, Stephen, right, who preached the gospel boldly to Jewish authorities and was stoned to death. Around A.D. 34, a man named Saul who oversaw Stephen's stoning is on the road pursuing more Christians to persecute when he has an encounter with the risen Christ and transforms his life. Saul becomes the Apostle Paul. Right then, persecution scattered the church, and a lot of folks left Jerusalem, and then the center of operations for the entire church went to Antioch, this ancient city in today's Syria. From there, Paul and his friend Barnabas, they get sent out as missionaries. They go from city to city, sharing the message of Jesus and planting churches in modern-day Turkey and Greece until Paul goes back to Jerusalem He's arrested. He's brought to Rome, you know, modern-day Italy. He shares the gospel there for two years while he's imprisoned. The gospel's moving across all these nations, right, and just in, in the early days, right? And now the book of Acts has 28 chapters, and that's where it leaves us, right? But the history of the church continues. It said that Emperor Nero ordered the beheading of Paul just after those two years, But even then, the church didn't stop growing. The years go on, and the church continues to multiply. By A.D. 80, the gospel makes it to France and Tunisia. Twenty years later, to Algeria and Sri Lanka. By A.D. 150, churches crop up in Portugal and Morocco. Decades later, they're found in Australia and Switzerland and Belgium. By A.D. 328, we have the reports of the first Christians in Ethiopia. 200 years later, uh, the gospel reaches modern-day England, and 10,000 people are baptized in the first year. In 635, the gospel makes it to China, right? And by 1200, the Bible is translated into 22 languages. And at some point, the lines go across the map so many times that it's impossible to trace, Right? Missionaries start jumping aboard with explorers to the New World. The pilgrims make it to Plymouth. The Great Awakening sweeps the British colonies. Christians are bringing the gospel with them wherever they go, and churches are being planted. And you know, Christianity flourishes in some of the most unpredictable ways and places. See, God's people are found in places where Christianity is forbidden, through persecution, but also in places where historically it had been forced through conquest. And by that I mean the true hope of Jesus finds a way, right? Even when it's shared in a wicked way and, and in a way that God never commissioned. And, and that end in no way justifies the means, but it's only to say that what some mean for evil, God means for good. We do not own the gospel. God owns the gospel, right? For example, it's amazing that the religion of slaveholders was adopted by so many slaves, right? And, and then to see the hope of Jesus defy those who, who, who used his name in the oppression of others, right? And how it became the hope of Jesus that carried so many through tremendous suffering and oppression as they looked forward to a day of freedom. 
right? And we see the gospel of freedom incorporated into songs of liberation sung by American slaves. Stories of the exodus from scripture show a God who frees the captives because the gospel is too big to be owned, right? It belongs to God alone. And, and even now, black America continues to have this rich Christian heritage despite the history of its introduction in the U.S. And that's the power of God. Nobody can stop God. Now stay with me because this will all make sense. In 1845, 13 families moved from Georgia to the plains of Texas and they started Holford Prairie Church. Right after about 40 years, they grew to be about 37 people, and they moved into town and planted First Baptist Louisville, right, of, of Louisville. In 1962, they planted Lakeland Baptist Church down the street, who planted Highland Village Baptist Church in 1978. Don't worry about these dates. They're just, it's just progressing as time goes on. And then that church becomes known as the Village Church in 2002. And in 2009, a dwindling church uh, gave their, church, their building away to the village church on the condition that the gospel would always be preached there. Now, 2009, that same year, here on Cape Cod, I walked into a church, I heard the gospel, and I became a believer. And I was baptized right down the street uh, at Dowses Beach. A year later, I met my wife, Leanna. We got married in 2012 and knew early on that we wanted to plant a church on Cape Cod. See, because I had grown up outside Christian circles, and even as a curious seeker, I had a really rocky time figuring out what the gospel actually was, right, on my journey toward Jesus. And we knew, we knew there just needs to be more churches in this area where people can encounter the good news, where they can ask their questions, where they can be welcomed with patience and kindness, where they can find gospel safety and time, right? Where believers can be equipped and mobilized to live their faith publicly and authentically. So we decided that I should go to seminary to learn about the Bible, right? I didn't grow up Christian. That was our first step, and we moved to Dallas to do that. And the church that we committed to while we were down there was the Village Church in Dallas, in this same building that was given away to them by this dwindling church on the condition that they would preach the gospel. And this church, with the help of Seven Mile Road in Melrose, sent our good friends, the Patronella family, to plant Seven Mile Road in Waltham. And we went back with them to help them plant that church as we prepared to plant the church that you are sitting in today, the one we've now been planting for two years, right? The one that we've dreamed about for 10 years, the continuation of the one that started 2,000 plus years ago uh, on the day of Pentecost, right? Something new is happening here, but something old too, right? We didn't come from nowhere, right? We're the continuation of something ancient, right? A message people lived and died to share. Good news that people are being killed for believing today in certain regions of the world, right? This news that Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live, that he died the death that our sin earned for ourselves, and then was raised again on the third day. The good news that forgiveness, reconciliation, resurrection life is found in him alone. And now just a quick sidebar. 
Did you notice how long it took Holford Prairie Church to reach 37 people? 40 years, right? It took them 40 years, and then they reached 37 people and decided, hey, we should go out into town, change our name, and worship there. But see, without them, there's no Lakeland Baptist Church, and therefore no Highland Village Baptist, and therefore no Village Church, and therefore no Seven Mile Waltham, and of course, no Seven Mile Road Hyannis. Right? I don't know what the role that God has for us in history is. Right? I don't know what role he has for us to play. And I'll make no promises besides the ones that are actually in Scripture. But we need to be okay even being Holford Prairie Church if that's what God has for us. Right? Because we can't actually see, we can't actually measure the importance of this moment in time. This blip in history, we have no idea. We'd like to. People try to, right? There's, there's pressure to. A friend told me this the other day. He said, we can't measure what's important, so we make important what we can measure. In other words, if we can't measure it, we put it to the side, right? And we look for the things we can measure, and we elevate those things. So God is the only one who can truly measure eternal weight, not us, right? We measure by attendance per Sunday, right? Baptisms per year, all important to God and to us, right? But, but we lack the perspective to actually measure the historical significance of the work that we're doing now, of what's even happening today, the work that he's doing in us and the work that he's doing through us. So we look to put a number on certain things, Right? It's a very new world kind of American thing to do, to think about time and progress the way that we do. We just can't help it. Right? Look what's happened in this country alone in 200 years. Look what's happened in 20 years. It's, it's unbelievable, the progress. But when you look at ancient countries, when you look at countries like China or countries in the Middle East and even some in Europe, they're thinking back and forward in thousands of years. Right? The church is old God is eternal. How are you thinking about time and progress? See, we can go back even more than 2,000 years. God's work precedes the birth of the church. We could dive deeper into the B.C. days of the Old Testament, all the way back to creation. And even further back than that, Ephesians 1.4 says that God set this plan in motion before the foundation of the earth. So something new is happening today. And something old is happening today. Now, it's celebrated in our culture to be entrepreneurial, right? And entrepreneurship is great. And often we even talk about church planting in terms of entrepreneurship. But to call planting a church an entrepreneurial venture alone minimizes the church's history, the church's heritage, and the pervasive nature of the message that we carry. See, the church is more ancient than we are new. And what we build today has been protected, preserved, and propelled through the ages by faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who came before us. The church spans geography. The church spans history. So we're not just something new at Seven Mile Road Church. We're also the continuation of something old. And Jesus' promise is that he will build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. So what God started, 
What God started, God is going to finish. And this goes all the way into eternity. The church is ancient, and the church is headed for eternity. And Seven Mile Road Church is one of many churches on Cape Cod and beyond, right, holding out this eternal hope of the gospel to the world, to a world that desperately needs hope, right? We need hope. Don't you need hope, right? We need the, the peace that hope brings, Hope can bring peace. Like, doesn't your mind need rest? Doesn't your soul need rest? You know, the division today is obviously unparalleled, and secondary divisions are dividing God's people as if we're debating the substance of the gospel itself. Our brains are barraged by the news cycle. Social media has made us all public figures to some extent. We're scrolling through each other's lives instead of actually connecting relationally, instead of investing in one another, instead of encouraging one another, we're viewing one another. People are getting into fights at the checkout line, right? They're swearing at each other in traffic, writing each other off for some very trivial things. We're losing loved ones. I mean, maybe technology just gives us a bigger window, but doesn't it seem like so many people are dying lately? Right, COVID-related and non-COVID-related. People in our community are losing their homes. People in our community are losing their jobs, their businesses. Households are collapsing. Marriages are dissolving. It's chaos, right? There are fires everywhere, and not just the figurative ones, real ones. I just read today that, that uh, the giant forest where the sequoia trees are, the fires are approaching, this ancient forest, Right? That obviously has not been burned down in a long time. There are fires everywhere. Right? And earthquakes and natural disasters and wars and suffering and oppression. We are living in chaos. It's not dramatic to say that. It's reality. And it doesn't always feel that way when, when I get into my car and I drive around in my little bubble with good music on. Right? or when we binge Netflix or, or read a good book, but we are living in chaos. Look at the world. It's not dramatic to say the truth. We're in a phase, even in this pandemic, where no one knows what to do, right? We had hope that it was ending in the summer, and then it never came to fruition. How does that feel, right? Now we're asking if it will ever end. How, how do we make the right choices? We feel the responsibility to make good choices and good decisions, but we lack the necessary information to do so. We don't have precedence, right? Nothing seems consistent. We're just in it as it's happening, right? And that's hard. I've been asked before, uh, you know, how I feel about the future of the church in the U.S. or the Western church, given all the issues that I, that I just shared, all the issues that we're facing internally, externally, everything I just talked about. And all that crops up in me, and I can't even fully explain it, is just that the blueprints we're working with feel outdated, right? They feel like they're not compatible with what we're doing today. The old way of doing things feels like a dead end. It feels like a dead end track. Like, I don't think we were prepared as a church for this season to hit. So we can jump on a track that we understand. We can copy churches, you know, down the street. We can copy mega churches in other regions of the area. And we can wrap our mind around that because it's been done before. 
Or we can be brave and try new things. And that's what we've had to do even as a young church uh, over the past two years. I don't have all the answers except to say that we need to hold tight to the word of God and we need to be receptive to his Holy Spirit as change happens because it's happening, right? We are encountering it. We're in it. But I can say much of, of the way that we thought about things, the way church has been done, it feels like it's not working, right? And some might say, yeah, I agree. We need to be more digital, right? We need to adapt technologically. We need to do more church online. Some of that has been true, right? The pandemic has shown us how inaccessible church might have been to, to certain populations. But more than adding those things, we need to revisit who the church is and how we do church. We need to look at scripture again and ask, how does God's picture of the church flesh out in today's world? This 2,000-year-old this picture, right? What do we actually have to offer the world? Is it free coffee? Right? Is it good music? Is it smiling faces every Sunday? Great technology, a building, great streaming, right? None of that is actually unique to the church. None of that's actually unique to God's people. In fact, a lot of organizations do it a lot better. They have a lot more money, a lot more expertise, and they do it better. These are not the things that we as a church have to offer the world. See, the main difference between the people of God and any other group or club is the intimate presence of God himself. See, the YMCA doesn't have that. The Rotary Club doesn't have that. The Elks Lodge doesn't have that. Your job doesn't have that. God indwells his church. Right? Churches don't need to put all their energy into modernizing. The church needs to become a sanctuary. Right? That's kind of an old word, a sanctuary. And by that I mean a holy place, a holy people. And to flesh that out, uh, there's another facet to that word sanctuary that, that the church took on, especially during medieval times. So if you were on, uh, on the run from the law, you could walk through the doors of a church and claim sanctuary, right? The authorities couldn't remove you. They wouldn't go in to get you. As long as you were in there, you were safe. It was a sacred space. People need to be able to come through that door and find a sacred space, Right? They need to find a place of peace created by a people of peace who worship the Prince of Peace. Right? People who know peace because they were at once, once at war with God and that God made peace with them through the blood of Jesus. And he's called us to be peacemakers. Right? And Matthew 9.36, Jesus is overlooking Jerusalem and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, the Bible says, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's us, right? We face it internally. We face it from the outside. And Jesus has compassion on us. Where do the harassed and helpless people go? Right? Where do the sheep without a shepherd go? See, the people of Cape Cod, our nearest neighbors, even in Hyannis, they don't need forced cheeriness. They don't need positivity and pat answers. They don't need hyped up music. They don't even need a lot of the stuff that we have here. We use it as a means of hospitality, but they need the truth. They need grace. They need the peace of Jesus. 
Without it, none of this extra stuff actually makes sense, right? We will never be cool. The church won't be cool. Our coffee won't win them over. Our social media posts and invites aren't enough. We have to ask, what are we inviting people to? Because they need a sanctuary. They need to encounter holiness, right? The otherness of God. He is holy. And we need a sanctuary, right? The church can be a sanctuary as we pursue holiness. Gospel safety time, right? Something historical is happening today. A sanctuary has popped up in the middle of Hyannis. And when you think about the future of Seven Mile Road, picture a community of Christ followers who have admitted their own need and found their ultimate sanctuary in Christ, right? People who are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, people who forgive as the Lord has forgiven us, people who bear with one another, people who bear each other's burdens, right? People who consider others more highly than themselves, people who sing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, people who confess sin to one another and pray for one another, not giving up meeting together as some, as, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching, right? Those are all just direct quotes from the Bible. I'm not making this up. Picture a church that cares for the poor and the downtrodden because Jesus cared for us when we were that way. Right? Because the true sanctuary is Christ, right? Our rock, we are tethered to Jesus. He's our refuge, right? That was our call to worship that Leanna read, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who's always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though its water roars and foams and the mountains quake with turmoil. Selah. And Selah just means rest. It means pause. I know I even, even as a volunteer here, we do a lot of setup, we do a lot of teardown, we work a lot, we sing, but can we pause on Sunday too? Can we pause the nonsense of the world and then be sent back out from a place of peace to make peace wherever we go? That's the vision of the church, right? In a world of unpredictability, we need a little predictability, a little stability, right? And our stability is found in Christ. Now, if you attended our gatherings at the park or if you're new to our church, you might have noticed that we've added uh, some older liturgical style elements to our gathering, right? We had a call to worship, confession and assurance, passing of the peace. These things might be new to you. They might seem like they're from, you know, a forgotten age or another denomination. Uh, we're going to have a benediction in a little bit. But at Seven Mile Road, liturgy is a rhythm intended to remind us that we're tethered to a God who brings order out of disorder, who brings peace from chaos. It's never intended to be a rote ritual in order to make us feel like we're holy or like we're earning God's love. God forbid it if it ever becomes that. Because we can't earn God's love. It has been freely given through Jesus. And so my desire as your pastor is that you can come in here any Sunday and know that you're going to get plugged into rhythms of grace and truth, 
that you can invite anybody you know, bring them here, and they are going to hear the gospel over and over. They're going to hear it spoken. They're going to hear it confessed. They're going to see it like tangibly through communion every single Sunday. That's not to say that I don't want our gatherings to be dynamic. There will be no uh, unique gathering. God is doing something different, right? right? I'm not attempting to squelch the Holy Spirit as if that's even possible. I believe God is working uniquely here. But at the same time, we need healthy rhythms of grace in our lives. We need a little predictability. We need stability, especially now. And so I want you to be able to come in here, and I want you to know that you're going to encounter God in this space among his people as we worship him in spirit and in truth. And so here's the summary. Right, Seven Mile Road, we might be a newly uh, planted church in this meeting space, but the Big C Church, right, that isn't new. That's ancient, that's global, that's eternal, and we're part of it. God planned us before the foundation of the earth, and we've been going strong for, over, for 2,000 years, right? And we'll be here until the end of days. Seven Mile Road, Hyannis, is a link in the historical chain no matter what happens. That's the first thing. And the second thing, we need Jesus, right? We need him every hour. We need him every day. And the world needs Jesus. Our neighbors need Jesus. Jesus said that the world will know that we're his disciples by how we love one another. God has made peace with us, so we should be ambassadors of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said for they will be called children of God. So let's make Seven Mile Road Hyannis a sanctuary where the harassed and helpless find refuge in God, whether that's us or our neighbor, right? We're all in need, where we can have a pause of peace from the world's chaos, a place from which we can be sent out as peacemakers, carrying the gospel message wherever we go empowered by God's Holy Spirit to behave more like children of God and less like children of this desperate and frantic culture. Right? Let's faithfully play the role that God planned for us before the foundation of the earth. Let's walk together in the good works that he's prepared ahead of us, having hope through all life storms because the gospel of Christ.